Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that we can hear your voice right now. Thank you that you tell us that your word will not return void, that it is useful. God, we confess we come to this time together with agendas. We come to this time together probably blinded by our own ego and pride. Lord, we just confess that and turn from that. We pray that you would speak. I pray, Lord, that your gentle whisper would be heard. I pray that you would tune our hearts, hear you. Pray, God, that you would whisper into the darkest of valleys. Have your way. Come, Holy Spirit, come. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. So we are in the second week of our series in Kings. Last week we talked about the mountaintop experience with Elijah on Mount Carmel and his throwdown with the prophets. A great story, a wonderful story of that mountaintop experience. And, and we expect as we read this that we're going to see just incredible revival after this moment. We cannot wait. How could you not have revival when the Lord shows up in fire in chapter 18? If you missed last week, I'd encourage you to go back and read this. But in essence, long story short, God shows up and lights the place on fire and, dis and displays for everybody that he is God and he is God alone. And in chapter 19 that we're looking at today, we expect this revival. We expect King Ahab to turn from his ways, to, for the people to, to repent and to turn to the Lord, and yet the opposite happens. Today we go from the mountaintop to the darkest valley. Have you ever had a moment where all of a sudden you felt like you find yourself in a darkest, in a dark valley. You went from something incredible, and, and, and all of a sudden, you don't understand what happened, but things are very different. Just last night, I was at dinner with some friends, and we were having a great, Brun and I were having, we had a great night, great food, great fellowship, and uh, on the way there, I had a little, if you know, I, I, I tend to have car issues, I had a little um, tire warning think anything of it so driving back we get in the car we are in turlock and uh flat tire now i decided i'm going to change the tire you guys have ever heard before i have a history of tire changing and thanks be to god i changed the tire hallelujah we're driving, we're changing the, I changed the tire, I got the lug nuts on, I did all the things, I even remembered to set the emergency brake, it was great. We, we start driving, and then, and then we go just to check it, and my spare tire is flat. 
Not my fault this time. And we're in Turlock, and we don't know what to do. And I remember just being like overwhelmed at that moment. I was just being like, I just want to be home. <laughs> I just want to be home. And we called home, and, and Nolan said, Well, Dad, you probably should just talk about this in your sermon tomorrow. <laughs> so, Nolan, there you go. But have you had those moments where, like, how, are we, how did I get here? Everything was going so well. And now it's like, I don't even know how to get home. And, and here with Elijah, we see this happen in vivid color to the man of God, this prophet. One of the commentaries says, as I was reading through, that this chapter in the Bible they would say, this, this particular commentator says, he believes is the most important chapter in the whole Old Testament. And it speaks into some stigmas that we have and to some dark valleys. And we see it in Elijah. And for many of us, we can relate to these moments. It's been said that we live in a, a very anxious and depressed time. A recent study says that what you would call depression or anxiety or, a, or that these depressive episodes are a period of at least two weeks when a person experiences a depressed mood or loss of interest or pleasure in daily activities and had a majority of specified symptoms such as problems with sleep, Eating, energy, concentration, or self-worth. An estimated 21 million adults in the United States had at least one major depressive episode. And this number represents 8.4% of all U.S. adults. The prevalence of adults with a major depressive episode was highest among individuals aged 18-25. So our young adults have especially experienced Depression and anxiety in these dark moments. It says that global pre prevalence of anxiety and depression is increased by a massive 25%. Many have said there seems to be this big shift since 2020 and some of the challenges that we've had. I believe here, as we look at this passage, there's some good words for us. Some good words to the mom who's just really tired. The broken relationship. To the moment of feeling like I had these dreams, they're shattered. To that midlife crisis where the kids are no longer here and, and I'm wondering, what am I living for? I truly believe that, that this is a good word for all of us, and we may not be in those moments right now, but I think we can remember moments of hopeless despair, or we can probably know that we will have them in our life. And so today, we see here this moment for Elijah, and I'm going to call the dark valley of hopeless despair. 
It's a dark valley of hopeless despair. He thought there was going to be revival. He thought he was going to experience, after this wonderful mountaintop experience, he thought things were going to go a certain way. And in verses 3 through 5, we can see things don't go his way. It tells us in verses 1 through 2 that Ahab goes back to Jezebel, and she's kind of whispering in his ear, and instead of turning, instead of standing up to her evil influence, he caves. And she breathes out threats to Elijah. And look at what happens here. It says in verse 3, then he was afraid. Now, the, the word here for afraid is a Hebrew word that relates to the word saw. A lot of commentators and translations, just because of the context, immediately go to the word afraid. But I really, after thinking this and, and reading through this and reading the commentaries, I think that the word here is saw. You see, I don't think in this moment that Elijah is necessarily afraid. I think he's heartbroken. I mean, he was just standing on Mount Carmel with 850 prophets, him versus them. If that was a moment to be afraid, that would have been a moment to be afraid. He is a man of incredible courage and boldness. And I think we don't do the text justice when we read this and we think that all of a sudden something happened to him and he was afraid. It could have been, but I think that word saw says, tells us that Elijah saw that things weren't going the way he thought they were going to go. He has shattered dreams. He is crushed. He is hopeless. He thought things were supposed to go this way, and they're not. And he sees this. And he's in utter despair. And because of that, it says that he arose and he ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah. Now remember, we're in Israel and Judah, so now Judah is the other kingdom. So he runs to safety. Jezebel can't mess with him in the area of Judah. And then look at what happens, though. He's in utter despair. He's in this dark valley, and what does he do? It says that he left his servant there. In this moment of depression, in this moment of heartache, he feels, it, it's like he's, his, the servant, it, it's, it's like he's quitting the ministry. It's like he's saying, I've just had enough, I just need to be alone, and he isolates. It says, but he himself went a, a day's journey into the wilderness, and he came and he sat down under a broom tree. Look at what happens. He says, and he asked that he might die. He wants to die. He's so discouraged. Saying, it is enough, O Lord. I've had enough. Take away my life, for I am no better than my father. Notice here, Elijah Still, in the midst of his despair, hear this, for those of us that find ourselves in these moments, he still understands or has some sort of conviction that he does not have the right to take his own life. 
He wants to die. Yet he cries out to the Lord, Lord, would you take my life? And, and, and we see this suicide ideation. We see just not wanting to live. We see this moment that says, and then he lay down and he slept under a broom tree. This is also a symptom of depression and anxiety and, and, and despair, is just wanting to sleep. Just not wanting to deal with what is in front of us. He's heartbroken, he's crushed. And I, I, I believe we all can relate to this on some level. I remember in 2020, when we had COVID and the, the, the wonderful joy of that time. I always thought, you know what? Depression, anxiety, I am a very positive person. I'm always, I, I, I do not tend to ever encounter these kind of emotions, but that year, I, find my, I found myself many times not wanting to get out of bed. I found myself many times wanting to quit. And realizing that this can happen to anybody. And we have this dark valley of hopeless despair. And hear this. This is happening to Elijah, the man of God. Far too often when we think about mental illness or we think about just discouragement and depression, we think there's something wrong with somebody when they encounter these issues. This seems to be something that we all will encounter at some time. There's some lessons in this that I think are incredibly important. And I believe we can learn so much in God's response to the dark valley. For you who may be in a dark valley or for a friend or a family member who may be in a dark valley, I believe that we have a wonderful example from God, what I would like to call the gentle whisper in the dark valley. And I want you to notice God's surprising response when he shows up. Notice that God does not show up to Elijah and say, what's wrong with you? Notice God does not show up to Elijah and say, here's a good verse that I could read to you. Here, here's, a, here's a good, like, saying that I could say to you. Look at what God does here. Look at what we can learn from our Lord, the incredible, mighty God. And notice his surprising response here for these moments as we think about what, how to navigate these dark valleys that are promise to us all. The first thing I think we see here is there is a present care. There is a present care. Look at verse 5. It says, behold, an angel touched him and said to him, arise and eat. And he looked and behold, there at his head was a casserole. Maybe there's some good word for us here. What do they bring? There's a cake. 
baked on hot stones in a jar of water, and he ate and drank and lay down again. In this moment of this dark valley, this says an angel, a messenger. When you read the word angel in the scriptures, it says a messenger. All of a sudden shows up, touches him, and bakes him a cake. And that's it. It says, arise and eat. So many times when we encounter dark valleys or we're caring for people in dark valleys, there's something about continuing just to show up and cake. And to be there. And to say, I know you don't want to get up. You got to get up. Arise and eat. There's this present care that we see from the Lord. But it's not just present, it's also persistent. Notice the persistent call. Elijah just wants to sleep. He is in this dark, depressed state. It says that the angel of the Lord came a second time and touched him again and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he rose and ate and drank and went to the, in, in the strength of that food 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. So the angel now is telling him, arise and eat and, and go to this mountain, Horeb, the mount of God. Interestingly, in numerology, they say that 40 days tends to be some sort of, the word 40 tends to be some sort of, of symbol of training or a picture of, of some sort of trial. So Elijah seems to need, is being called to just for 40 days keep arising and eating, arising and eating, arising and eating. And it's so fascinating that where the Lord tells him to go. He's to go to another mountain. Now here it says Horeb, we know that this is Mount Sinai. This is Moses' mountain. You remember the stories of Moses? It's a little background. Moses has an experience with God, with the people of Israel, when he asks the Lord. God gives him the Ten Commandments, he gives him the law, and Moses asks the Lord to see his glory. And it says, in, in, I believe it's in Exodus 30-ish, somewhere in there, it says that, that, that the Lord tells him, I will show you my glory, but you're going to have to hide in the cleft of this rock. And I'm going to pass by you, and I'm going to cover your, your, your eyes with my hand. And I'm going to pass by you, and then I'm going to reveal the backside of me. Otherwise, you'll, you'll die. And it says that Moses has this incredible experience of the very presence of God. And his face shines. And God, in this moment, in this dark valley, what's he doing? What's he telling the angel? What's, he, what's the messenger telling Moses or telling Elijah to do. He's saying, go to that mountain. He's saying, go to the place of God's very presence. And so we see this persistent call, and also we see this gentle whisper of a personal correction. There is some correction here. You see, Elijah had an idea of how things were supposed to go. 
Elijah had expectations and dreams and aspirations, and those aren't necessarily horrible, but he put all of his stock in this, and when his dreams are shattered and he comes before the God, he says, woe is me, I'm all by myself. The Lord does have some words for him. Look at what happens here. It says here in verse 9, there he came to a cave, and he lodged in it. Interestingly enough, this is the same word used for cleft that Moses hides in. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, to Elijah, and he said to him, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They've thrown down your altars and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only am left. And they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broke it, its it broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord, but the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in an earthquake. What a surprise. And after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. Some translations say, a gentle whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. It's interesting here. Commentators, some commentators say here, when the Lord is asking this question of Elijah, what are you doing here? It's more of an invitation. It's more of an invitation for Elijah to pour out his heart to God. God knows what he's doing there. It's more of an invitation for Elijah to, to make a case before God, for the sovereign, mighty, powerful God. And I love here the way that God shows up to Elijah. He says, you thought that, you know, I only show up in the fire. Now remember, just a chapter beforehand, how does God show up? in fire. We know God shows up in earthquakes. He shows up in wind. He tends to show up in fire. But do we sometimes put him in a box and say, this is how you will work, and God is showing up to Elijah in, in a gentle whisper, in a personal whisper, and it seems to be he's correcting him. He's saying, Elijah, you're not the savior in this story. You're not the one who gets the glory. I know you think you're by yourself. If you actually look at this text and move on the rest of the verses, he actually goes on and says, okay, I've heard this. Listen, there's going to be this king that you're going to anoint. He's going to do my work. There's going to be this other guy named Jehu you're going to anoint. He's going to do my work. There's just going to be this Elisha who's going to come alongside. He's going to come alongside. And by the way, there's going to be 7,000 other people. You don't even know about them. They haven't bowed the knee. They haven't obeyed Baal. They're being faithful. Elijah, I know you think it's all gone, but you don't see the bigger picture. 
And isn't this true in these moments of big despair, the ways that we tell ourselves half-truths? The ways that we start to believe things that, 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 that are half-truths. We think they're, they're, there's parts of them that are true, but we don't see the bigger picture. We don't see all that is happening. And the Lord in his grace is gently whispering correction to Elijah. He didn't have to do that. We see this gracious connection. And as we see this, we probably ask ourselves, what does this mean for you and me? What does this mean? What's the so what here? We, I don't have a Mount Horeb to go to. Where do I get the gentle whisper? Logan, I've been praying. I've been reading my Bible. I don't hear that. I, don't, I haven't had these experiences. What is so fascinating in this story, Elijah's looking for answers, but do you know that Elijah shows up on another mountain thousands of years later? In the same cleft that Moses was in, Elijah's in. That same cleft. Look at what happens here. Later on, in Luke, Jesus comes. And it says in Luke chapter 9 that they're up on a mountain again. Luke chapter 9, verses 28 through 31. Look at, what, look at what happens here. Look at these connections. Now about eight days after these sayings, he took with him Peter and John and James, and he, Jesus, went up to a mountain to pray. And as he was praying, the appearance of his face was altered, and his clothing became dazzling white, and behold, two men were talking with him. Who do you think these two men are that are talking with Jesus? Just imagine. Moses and Elijah. Who appeared in glory, and they spoke of his what? His departure. Some translations would say his exodus. They're talking of his crucifixion and his resurrection which he was about to accomplish at Jerusalem. Fast forward to verse 34, it says, as he was saying these things, a cloud came and overshadowed them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. And a voice came out of the cloud saying, look at this, this is my son, my chosen one, listen to him. And as we think about this, as we reflect on these truths, there's so much gospel in this story. Remember in the story for Elijah to hear the gentle whisper, for, for Moses to be able to see the glory of God, what did they need to be spared from? What did they need to protect themselves from the full glory of God? They needed the rock, right? They need to hide in the rock. Because the whole glory of God, the fire, the earthquake, the wind, God in all of his glory it, it will, will destroy us in our sin if we are to really encounter him. And so how do we hear his gentle whisper? Hear this, the gospel tells us this. The gospel reminds us that Jesus is the rock we hide in. Jesus is the rock we hide in. He took on the wind, 
on the earthquake, remember when he dies, what does it say? It says that there was an earthquake and the fire of God's presence so that we could experience the gentle whisper of God's grace. We are invited into this beautiful, right, relationship with God, and he wants to speak through a gentle whisper to you. So what? Is this, if this is true, if we are connected to this story, if Jesus changes everything, what does this mean for you and me? How are we a part of this story? It seems to me if you are in a moment of despair or you've been in a moment of despair, you feel yourself depressed, the first thing I would just say is this. I am not a trained professional therapist. And for many of us, when we are in despair and depression, it is very good to go and see a therapist. It is very good to go and get the help, the professional help that we need. That's a gift. It's incredibly effective. I have been to a counselor many a times and gotten wonderful help. But I'm a pastor. And I believe God does have a word for us in our despair here. I think here, in your despair, the word is get up and eat. Get up and eat. I cannot tell you that the darkness will go away. I cannot tell you that the hurt and the pain will just disappear. But we do believe that God is there in it. Would you believe that Jesus in Gethsemane, when he wept blood for you and me, that he knows our pain, that he is with us in our pain, and that he's calling us every day, minute by minute, moment by moment, to just continue to get up and eat? Even when I don't feel it, there's something about being a Christian and having faith that God is real and that God is good. And so what? Get up and eat. And how do you do that? I believe you must speak God's character. We don't always have answers for the dark despair. It would be silly to imagine that I can comprehend your pain or your struggle. But we have a faith in a good God. We believe in God's character. I think that's what's happening here with Elijah. He's being reminded in this story that, that of God's character. I'm reminded of the song we sing. It says, all my life you have been faithful. All my life, you have been so, so good. Reminded in a sermon or a message this week of this guy talking about these moments of pain, and he was talking about how, you know, really when we are asking these questions, why God, how long God, that really the, 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 the deeper question is, is a question of God's character. It's a question of, are you good, God? And we confess that God is good. 
And I would encourage you in those moments to continue to speak the things that you believe to be true. And sometimes we must speak them and believe that God is going to help us in our hearts to catch up with those things. That's what it means. Why do you think we sing these songs? Do we always feel the way that the words that we sing? No, we sing them because they help us in, in confessing our faith. So speak God's character. And second, listen for the whisper of grace. Listen for the whisper of grace. I'm reminded in that, in that passage, in the transfiguration, when Jesus shows up, God says, this is my son. Listen to him. I think in these moments, oftentimes, God, we, we, are, we are even more open to his voice in our lives. I would encourage you to listen to this. So in your despair, I would just ask you, continue to speak of God's character, continue to listen for his gentle whisper. But also, I wanted to make this final point. In our despair, we need to show up and care. In our despair, we need to show up and care. When there's someone in the beloved, someone in our community, someone in your family, someone that you just feel the Lord telling you that they're going through something, we are called to be a communion of people who bear it together. Remember in this story, what does Elijah do? He, he, he tries to isolate himself. We are called into faithful covenant community. When we, when we take communion and we break the bread, we say this is the, the, the body of Christ broken for you, take and eat. We are communing with him and his brokenness for us as we commune together. And for some of us, when we, when we, when we, don't, we feel like, I don't have the words to say, I don't know how to care for this person who's in this really, really dark valley, so I'm just gonna give them their space. That's the worst thing we could do. The best thing you could do, as I've said before, is just show up and shut up. Just show up, make a cake, and, and touch them and tell them you love them. And tell them, get up and eat and do it again tomorrow. And this is what we're called to do in our despair. I'm reminded, Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Tony Moretta says this, one of the commentators, he says, until we gaze on the face of Jesus, let's feast on the bread of life. Let's listen to his voice and let's be spurred on by a glorious future that awaits all of his suffering saints. In a few moments, we're going to sing a song that's just all about us singing of who our God is, of his character. And I just want to invite you in this moment. Just in a moment like this, in a room like this, I know that there are some of us that can relate on a much deeper level to this passage today. And there are some watching online that are sleeping a lot, that are in that dark valley, and I, I just, my prayer for today is that we would hear the gentle whisper of God's grace. 
is that, that, that we would respond to this incredible invitation as a people of God into his presence because Jesus took on our darkest valley. He steps into our darkest valley and invites us to commune with him. And so don't miss this. There's work to be done. Get up and eat. Show up and care. So right now, as you sing, as a sign of our confession, sing these words. And if you don't feel them, believe them. If you don't feel them, believe them. Hear this. This just came to me. This is what it is. We must be a people that when we don't feel things, we believe things. That's what it's meant to be a confessional church. When we confess our faith, we're saying, I believe. I don't feel. Get up and eat. Lord, you are the way maker. You are here. You are speaking. You are moving. And God, I just know, God, that all of us at some point walk in dark valleys. Some of us regularly have to navigate this battle with our mental health and depression and anxiety. And Lord, I just pray right now that your gentle whisper would be heard. I pray, Father God, that your smile would be felt. I pray, Spirit of God, that you're strengthening and you're comforting and you're groaning on our behalf would be known. And I pray also, God, for those of us that don't feel any of this, God, that we would continue to get up and eat, that we would continue to sing these truths, believing them to be true. and in effect, hearing your whisper. So move in this place and have your way. In the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, we pray this.